going to ask Paul to come and share with me one of our two Bible readings. From the Old Testament, some words from Job chapter 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Keren Hapuch. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so he died old and full of years. And the New Testament reading is from the Gospel according to Mark. Blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, the son of Thaumas, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that It was Jesus of Nazareth. He began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the living word of the living God. Amen. Amen. Ian, welcome in the name of the Lord. Thank you. And be at liberty to share as the Lord leads you. Thank you. Amen. 
he said they were big and small here and as you get older you shrink anyway and depending on where you've got your very focal set things like this are sometimes awkward nice to be back again can I say first of all greetings from Upton where Mary and I are members and from Samson Walk at Worcester where I'm moderator now the pastor of both churches departed three weeks ago to become an army chaplain uh, and so I'm back in the seat at uh, Samson Walk as moderator and we have a very exciting development St Peter's are going to send a block of their people across to Samson Walk we're just in the process of setting up an interim leadership team it's one of the in words isn't it, leadership team we used to call them deacons um, diaconate, anyway whatever we call it and we're looking at how is God leading Samson Walk because what we want to see is growth you can imagine how difficult it is this morning they will have started same time as us many of you will know the building it seats getting on for 400 people and there will be about 35 of them and it's a struggle but we're looking for growth my wife was talking to a lady the other day and she said to Mary look I'm over 90 now I've been at this church for over 60 years and I have seen things go downhill and at my age I don't want change but change there has to be and I'll go with it Hallelujah I don't believe God's into change for the sake of change but he doesn't want his church standing still either and if you think of what our forefathers did you're an old church aren't you like Upton and Worcester what they did in services all those years ago isn't what we do today it isn't what we were doing when I was converted 40 years ago things change so if you've got a spare moment when you're praying will you remember Samson Walk please and think about Upton as well also in Interregnum now when I looked at these two readings I thought this raises the whole business of healing it's one of those subjects that's been preached on discussed, books have been written people have fallen out about it because there are all sorts of different views and essentially if you were to survey the whole of the Christian church I think you come down to three views the first are those who would say healing is our right we claim it in the name of Jesus and they generally base it on the bed in Isaiah 53 by his stripes were healed and if you're not healed it's either because you're lacking in faith or you've got some sin in your life the second view is that such miracles only happened in biblical times they don't happen anymore and the third view I suppose is where most of us would stand somewhere between those two we believe God heals we're not always sure what God's up to but we go on praying for the sick I think what the Bible presents to us is that as humans we have a need for wholeness that wholeness covers all sorts of things we have a spiritual need that's our fundamental one because we are divided from God by our sin and the only answer the only answer is in Jesus and when he died 
He died to deal with all our sin. For all people for the rest of time. We have a spiritual need. Very often people have a physical need. Needs might be mental, emotional, psychological. Now, although I'm retired, I'm a pensioner now, I'm learning to use a bus pass, I still work one morning a week in my local doctor's surgery as a counsellor. And I see so many people who are damaged mentally, emotionally, psychologically. We have relationships that are damaged. Was it in the papers last week? There's only 60% of youngsters in secondary schools who live with mum and dad. That's reality. Not passing judgment on it. That's how life is. And of course, if you move out from relationships, the family, you move into society, we've got some dreadful needs, some dreadful damage. It's all there. And what God wants to do is make us whole. Now we know that the ultimate wholeness comes when this life is over and according to Revelation 21 we're going to be in a place where there's no pain, no sin, no sorrow, no crying. It might take a bit of getting used to because we're not used to that. Actually we'll get used to it straight away because God will sort us out. But we all need to be made whole. We're all in a process of being made whole. I can remember many years ago there used to be a group of people based in the Anglican Church in Ledbury who met weekly for a healing uh, prayer meeting. And once a month they held a service. And on one occasion there was a visiting vicar came to lead the service and somebody I knew fairly well who had a stroke came out the front, it was obviously he'd had a stroke, arm and leg weren't working, he had a walking stick, and he came to be prayed for. And this vicar, who didn't know him, did not even mention the fact that he'd got a dead arm and leg. He prayed for this man's relationship with his wife. He was spot on. Guided, I believe, by the Holy Spirit. The tragedy is that that couple went to their graves never having resolved the difficulties. And I've often thought the far greater need for healing was not the body that didn't work, but the heart and mind that weren't working. Let's move on. Let's have a look at this man. Bartimaeus. Whenever you see a name beginning with Bar or Ben in the New Testament, it's Aramaic or Hebrew for son of, a bit like Mac in Scottish or O apostrophe in Irish. So he was the son of somebody called Timaeus. What do we know about him? Not a lot actually. He was blind and he was sitting at the roadside begging because that presumably was his only way of living, to rely on the charity of others. Now, in the New Testament, it's frustrating sometimes, we get the minimum of detail. And Mark tells us very little. What does this man know about Jesus? Well, according to verse 47, 
he must have heard of him before because when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth then he began to shout so perhaps something of the teaching and healing ministry of Jesus had got through to him and he's going to ask for help he refers to the Lord Jesus as the son of David so presumably he's Jewish a title that went with the Jewish expectation of the Messiah he refers to Jesus as rabbi which is literally Hebrew for teacher so he was acknowledging something of the fact that this was a teacher who was coming and also a term of respect I would suggest now the crowd want to put him off (laughs) a little warning here sometimes in church life people who are in need of help don't do what we expect them to do and what's our temptation? will you sit down and be quiet you're messing up our order of service and we don't like that I saw at Upton the other week got a lady who'd been in and out of hospital for tests and the last test revealed she got cancer and her husband who'd had a mini stroke some while ago was in quite a state that morning and he wanted to tell the church that his wife had just been diagnosed with cancer it wasn't on the order of service and he came out the front and he struggled his way through and a couple of people just got up and stood with him and prayed and I thought I'm thankful I belong to a church that isn't stuck to a written order of service when there's a need but you can be so the crowd try to put him off be quiet and Jesus stopped have you ever noticed in the scriptures how often Jesus got crowds of people around him and he stops for one person doesn't matter about all these others for the minute this man needs him I like the way so often Jesus asks a question which seems so obvious what do you want me to do for you? well isn't it obvious really? but he still asks the question and I believe sometimes he's asking that today of us what do you want me to do for you? for you as an individual, for you as a church for you as part of a church in an area what do you want me to do? and he simply says Rabbi I want to see now we don't know had he been blind from birth had something happened some disease or injury we don't know I want to see and Jesus says to him go your faith has healed you and a word that Mark loves you'll find it time and time again in his gospel immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus immediately here is a miracle notice Jesus says your faith has healed you bearing in mind what I said earlier was it just his faith or was it that by faith he received what Jesus had to offer I'll leave that with you 
And so you don't think I belong to the people who think miracles have ended. We've given thanks to God already today for somebody being healed. And I was thinking when I was preparing this, some years ago I met a lady in Hereford. She was probably early 30s. She was, she'd been disabled. She'd had her home adapted. Slopes, handrails, bathroom change, kitchen change. She had a wheelchair. Everything geared up for this progressive illness she had. And she became a Christian. And she was prayed for. And healed immediately. And she said, you know, one, I couldn't walk without sticks. I had to hold on to things. And she jumped up and down in front of me. And then, this was the fascinating bit, she said, the hospital hadn't got an answer. Now, I'm not anti-doctors, thank God for them. But she said, they hadn't got an answer. And when I left, the consultant gave me a copy of the before and after x-rays. So if people don't want to take my word for it, I can say, here is the proof. And the only answer is that Jesus healed me. Now, we have to be realistic. Not everybody we pray for is cured as we would like to see. And the book of Job is part of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. It's one of the classic things on the problem of suffering. Now, you don't need me to tell you there's a lot of suffering in the world. I've already touched on it. You put on the news today, you'll hear about suffering, you're bound to. People in your family, people down the road, whatever. And this man, Job, knew about suffering. If you, you know, make the time, I suggest, to read the book of Job. And at the beginning, you find this man, life is going well for him. He's got a big family, got lots of people work for him, and he's very wealthy. And what happens? In one short spell of time, his children are killed, many of his workers. He loses his family, his servants, his wealth. And then he ends up covered from the soles of his feet to the top of his head with sores. So he lost his health as well. But Job was a man of faith. And when all this happens, what does he say? Words we sometimes use at funerals. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall depart. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. His wife, on the other hand, Mrs. Job, says to him, why don't you curse God and die? Get it over with. No. And then some friends come to comfort him. And I often think they did more in the first week than they did the rest of the time because they sat on the ground in silence for a week 
with him because they saw that the pain was so deep and so intense. Reminds us to be very, very careful when people are suffering loss that we don't come out with all the glib kind of statements. Ever so easy, isn't it, to say, have you read Romans 12, where it says all things work together for good? That may not be the most helpful scripture for that person at the time. I was, um, I was in age concern some weeks ago. Um, I work as a volunteer, although I'm entitled to, entitled to benefit from their services as well. A man came in, um, wanted some information. His wife had died some weeks before. And he said, I don't know what to do. He said, I've got people say to me, get back to work as quickly as you can, that'll help. Do this, that and the other, take your mind off it. He said, I'm getting all this advice. He said, I really don't know what to do. What do you think? I think, oh, does he want some advice from me? And I said to him, forget what they've said. Your path through bereavement is yours and yours alone. If you, do you want to go back to work? He said, no, I don't think I could cope with it yet. I said, well, don't. When you're ready, you go. People say, go away on holiday. He said, I don't want to go away. All my memories are at home. I said, well, go when you're ready and you can face coming back home. And he said, hey, you're the first person who said anything like this to me. Thank you very much. And he went these three friends there's loads and loads of chapters of what went on between Job and his friends classic sort of answers to the problem of suffering, have a look through it well this goes on and when you get to chapter 38, God steps in God speaks to Job and confronts him and says in effect Job stand up, I've got some questions I want you to answer I'll ask the questions, you answer me. And then God goes through this long list and he says, Job, where were you? And he goes through a whole great catalogue of creation. And says in effect, were you there? Did you see it? Did I ask your advice? And nowhere, as far as I'm aware, does God explain or justify what he has allowed. On a personal level, I have never asked why my son died three years ago. I don't feel I need to. Now, I'm probably in a minority here. I've had lots of people say to me, you must ask why. Why must I? If I haven't asked why, why put myself through more agony trying to find an answer that I'm never going to get? Now, a lot of people do ask why, but not everybody. So God is under no obligation to explain to us why he does certain things or allows certain things. 
You see, if we're prepared to sing and say, I surrender, one of the things we're surrendering to is to him as our Lord and Saviour and to his will for us. Lots of Christians have struggled because they've come away with the idea that once I believe in Jesus, everything will go fine. Now where do you get it from? I cannot find it in the Bible. We're not exempt as Christians from tragedies. So God does not explain. But what you do get through the book of Job is a wonderful picture of God in all his power, his wisdom, his holiness, his knowledge. And in all those areas, he is complete. He does not need somebody's help. You know, there's so many things in life, aren't there, where we want to do something and we need to ask. Um, One of my sons got married a few weeks back, now lives in Persia, would you believe? Um, And the night before the wedding, he'd gone to collect the penguin suits for him and his two brothers, and they stood there in our lounge saying, how do you tie a cravat? So Matthew gets onto Google, how do you tie a cravat? <laughs> and and it's a very helpful website, even with pictures, how to tie a cravat. Because if you look at some people's cravats at weddings, they obviously haven't been on the website. You know? <laughs> well, that's a trivial thing. But so often we need other people. None of us are totally independent. What about those things you're waiting for in the post? You are dependent on when the strike ends and everything gets back to normal. We're sitting here today with lights on. Somebody is keeping the electricity system going so that we can have lights. God, on the other hand, doesn't need anyone else. It's not surprising that God said to Job... You have darkened my counsel with words without knowledge. And I suppose if we're honest, we can do the same with God. We can do it with each other. How often have you heard that phrase, if I were you, well, what you need to do is... And it gives us a contrast, this picture of God who's complete in himself and humanity, limited in all these areas. When we look at the subject of healing, what do we do when somebody is not healed as we would like. It's a struggle. Job somehow worked through all that. He ends up apologising to God because he got it wrong. It's not easy. So today we've seen one instant miracle. A blind man who could suddenly see. 
we've seen a man going through suffering. I want to leave you with three comments. The first one is where is the place for the will of God coupled with the grace of God? We've heard a testimony this morning of healing attributed to the grace of God. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that earlier. Because our will and God's will may not line up. And perhaps sometimes in our praying we need to spend a little more time saying, Lord, where are you leading us in this? I've heard Christians say, because we don't need the medical profession, we just turn to Jesus. I'm thankful that God has enabled people to develop the skills that we now have. I had a cataract operation done in February. My biggest struggle was with glare. Driving here this morning would have been a struggle. And I think it's wonderful. Take out the old one that's all crystallised and light scattering and put this new little plastic thing in. I was watching the telly that evening and I said to the um, specialist, this was a Wednesday, um, I hadn't cancelled my patients for Thursday morning. And I said to him, can I go to work tomorrow morning? He said, well, if you feel like it, go. So I did. Isn't that wonderful? And I can see better. Now, just a warning for those who are older. I was talking the other day to the mother of the rector of Upton who recently had a cataract done. Now, I don't have this particular problem, you understand. And I said, how, how are you since then? Oh, wonderful, she said. Wonderful. The only problem is I can see more dust. <laughs> I don't do the dusting. I'm not very good at it. Keep it that way. But you know, sometimes when we're praying, we need to say to God, where are you taking us with this one? Because I've sat in prayer meetings sometimes and heard two completely opposing things said, and everyone says, I'll mentor them. So where's the will of God and his grace? God deals with us according to grace, not according to what we've done or who we are. And sometimes we pray for people expecting God to heal them because they happen to be a pillar of the church and all sorts of other things. You know, grace will do. It's far better, really. Secondly, I believe we need to go on praying for the sick. If you go to Upton these days and ask to be prayed for, you get a choice of flavours with the oil. You can either have the old Leviticus recipe or you can have a lavender-based one. Now, the oil, in a sense, it doesn't matter what oil it is, it is a symbolic step of faith. And it's just one of those things that to me is so moving. We need to go on praying. And sometimes we will see answers fairly quickly, sometimes we won't. There's a young lad of 19 associated with Upton, used to be uh, belonging to Upton now, lives in Newant. He was hit by a car on Easter Saturday last year. He is in a specialist unit in Putney in London, having been in hospital ever since the accident. And about four weeks ago he started to speak. 
just recently his mother took a card and a photograph from us to him and she showed him the photograph and he said, that's Ian and Mary. And she comes from the black country, his mother, got a great sense of humour. And one of the nurses said to her the other week, we're amazed at Richard's progress. He's making more progress than we thought when, we, when he first came to us. And Mandy's answer was, I've got half this country praying for him and people all over the world. What do you expect? <laughs> Just that little bit of humour, but a statement of faith, still trusting. It's tough, but we go on praying. So don't give up when things don't go the way we want them. And thirdly, the Lord Jesus said that um, people would know we're his because we love each other. We need to support those who are struggling. Now I've spent the last week at the Society of Mary and Martha. I go down there three times a year to help on some of their retreat things. And I met somebody this time who last went there, she's a vicar somewhere or other, um, she last went there 12 years ago and she said, you know, I can remember virtually nothing about this place or what happened. All I remember was how kind they were to me. And I said, oh, strange you say that because I first went down there 20 odd years ago when I was ill with depression. And I said, I can't remember a lot of the detail, but what I remember was how kind they were to me. And it was part of the healing process for me. We have a lot of people out there who have no support. They're on their own. Or the people they're with are not supportive. The Christian church should be the example to people who are suffering. You might need to do what Job's friends did for a week. Sit in silence. It might need continued work continued praying whatever but the Christian church is the place really where care should happen the reason that Mary and I went back to Upton Baptist Church we had a bit of a break when I retired two years ago the reason we went back was because of the support and care that we received. I have no responsibilities at Upton, but we were welcomed back and looked after. Now that may sound a bit selfish, but we needed that, because in bereavement terms, three years is still early stages. I've probably asked more questions than I've given answers to this morning. But can I ask that you have a think about the whole area of healing, both personally, because there may be some people here who need a touch from God, but there are lots of issues surrounding it. Have a think about it. Kick it around with people. But please do go on praying for the sick and go on supporting those are struggling and go on believing in the sovereignty of God. Now we're going to sing a hymn. It comes from the Iona community.
one of the things I like about Iona, they very firmly point you to God in their songs, but they also root it very strongly in humanity. So as we sing our way through this, most of you will know the tune, it's Ye Banks and Brays. Um, it touches on the struggles in human life and the fact that so often we come to God with a mixture of faith and doubt. And the last bit is a prayer. Lord, let your spirit meet us here to mend the body, mind and soul, to disentangle peace from pain and make your broken people whole. Isn't that what we want to see here and around the world, really? Let's sing it. I've never sung this to a drumbeat. Isn't that brilliant? Wonderful. Thank you. Oh 